This is the journey. This is the journey. Welcome back to For Our Love of Science podcast. This is the journey episode. Here, our guest star shares more about their discovery of science and how mentors and experiences shaped who they are today. To hear more about the work associated with this journey, please check out the previous episode. Thank you so much for, you know, warming us up and, and getting things um, started. Uh, so in this kind of second half, we'll talk a little bit more about your journey and how you got here and where you're going next. Um, can you speak a little bit more to, um, and I think you started this when you were explaining how your mom was kind of like, um, I guess, a vision of yourself that you could see for the future. But can you speak to maybe other science sparks that you had growing up or any other science wow moments? Like what really... Uh, um, also influenced you into kind of taking this career trajectory? Yeah. So um, like I said, both my parents are in science. So that was kind of like a default for me that I knew I was going to be in science. <laughs> Didn't know quite what I was going to do, but I knew I was going to be in science. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll actually take that a step back. I knew what I was going to do. I thought I was going to be a veterinarian. <laughs> ah! Like for sure. I was going to, I was going to go to vet school. I had worked at zoos. I had worked at vet oh, offices. Wow. wow. I was going to be a veterinarian Mm. and I was going to be a veterinarian until my senior year of college. Mm. That's how far I went. (laughs) Wow. Um, It was uh, the year you should be applying. Mm -hmm. And I tell people this is the craziest story. I was taking a summer class or it was like right before summer classes were supposed to start. I was on a bus stop, a administrator somewhere for the college or university, was like, hey, are you going to do summer research? Are you interested in summer research? And I realized it was just because I was a POC. And I was <laughs> like, I wasn't really planning on it. I want to go to vet school. I didn't necessarily need to do research. Right. He's like, well, we have these funds. If you want to do summer research, we'll like pay you. I'm like, well, that makes sense. I'll <laughs> find someone to do summer research for. Um, but the thing was, I wanted to be a vet, like I said. Right, so at yeah. my school, I was in the College of Agriculture, mm. not the College of Arts and Sciences, because um, that's where the vet school was. Right. Out of. Yeah. Um, and so there was very limited research. Not Actually, that's not true at all. Limited research that I was interested in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so... There was a lot of poultry science and animal right. research yeah. and poultry science that I yeah. was not interested right. in. Right. At the time, this interested I was only interested in animal behavior. And if you're interested in animal behavior in ag school, there's only one group of people who are interested in you, and those are entomologists. Interesting. Oh. Yeah. So I went to the entomologist and I was like, Yeah, I had this application I could fill out. They'll pay me to do research. I can work in your lab all summer long. And the guy was like, sure, whatever. <laughs> like, I, I came up with this project idea. I was like, I don't know. I was going to look at mosquito behavior when mm. they feed. It was a whole thing. Wow. Interesting. And so I tell people the story because it doesn't always end the way people think it. <laughs> I applied. I didn't get the fellowship. Whoa. But the guy, the professor was like, I'll pay you to work in my lab over the summer. I was like, oh, 
okay. All right. He's like, but we're not doing that so he was like i had this grad student who was doing this molecular pathway mm. um and he was really interested in ironically um ecdysteroids which are mosquito hormones mm-hmm. mm. um and so he was like yeah we're doing like qpcr and pcr and you know this guy you're gonna work with him mm-hmm. and so that was my summer and you kind of talk about leadership styles um, I Doug, that was the grad student, was very much I show you something once and that was it. <laughs> and so I'd be walking around with like a notebook or a clipboard because he would show me something once and that would be it. And so I was like, all right, but it worked. Like I would get it because I knew very quickly I had to write stuff down. Right. And then he let me have more and more freedom. And so by the end of it, I was like running my own kind of things and he was getting the data he wanted. He was very happy. Um, and so that summer really changed it. And so I asked the professor, I was like, oh, can I work in your lab in the fall? And he's like, yeah, sure. Like, Doug's like to, you guys are working, stuff's happening. I was like, cool. <laughs> um, and so that fall, I was like, oh, I think I kind of like research. Yeah. And I remember being like, I don't think I want to go to vet school. Yeah. I think I'm going to go to grad school. Oh, my gosh. Um, and so that's how I got into it. And um, another weird story was I still was interested in animal behavior. So I knew I was going to stick with mosquitoes um but i transferred my freshman year from johns hopkins to university of georgia Mm -hmm. but i took a class on animal behavior at johns hopkins and so i emailed that professor i was like i'm interested in grad school in this field and to this day i don't know why he answered me he really shouldn't have answered me it was a total like i hadn't talked to this guy in three years something like that but he did and he sent me a link and he sent me all the schools that would be really good at stuff I'd be interested in. And um, yeah, Dr. Gregory Ball, who I ended up having that class with when I was in graduate school. He was also a bird researcher. So I put him on my um, committee, dissertation committee. Uh-huh. And then we have stayed in contact since then. He was on my job um, list recommenders. He's now a dean at University of Maryland. Yeah. But uh yeah, still, like, I'll see him at a conference, and he'll say hi to me, and we'll, you know, have conversations, and it was literally one class wow. that I know at the time, he didn't know who I was, but it <laughs> Maybe showed he did. to, no, he didn't, it was a huge lecture, <laughs> it was one of things, like, but he's a nice guy, and yeah. I think sometimes people forget in our field, there are some big researchers who can still be a nice guy, mm-hmm. yeah. and one simple email brought one person into the field and I imagine how many times he's done that and kept people in the field because he could have just ignored me yeah and I wouldn't have you know it would have gone nowhere but he did it and so that's kind of how I got into research and it's all history from there but literally someone stopped me at a bus stop yeah that's amazing (laughs) and then didn't give me a fellowship (laughs) that's amazing so I guess looking at kind of how your career plans have I guess um transformed mm-hmm. so you originally started off you know veterinarian track 150 <laughs> percent like you're gung-ho about it and then you had this really amazing pivoting experience where you were kind of like an interest in research and behavior um and then can you maybe tell us a little bit then about how that has kind of led to your current work and neuroscience yeah so um Again, I got into the lab thinking I was going to do animal behavior. Of course, that didn't happen. Um, but 
it kept me in the hormones, which is actually what we were studying. I didn't quite understand it at the time because I was undergraduate <laughs> and doing like work. And I was like, sure, I get what I'm doing. Quite but it was funny because I actually did end up studying hormones. I was looking at molecular pathways of hormone uh, synthesis in these mosquitoes. Um, so interesting thing. I don't know if you guys all know this. Mosquitoes, males and females, only females bite you. Mm-hmm. Um, the males don't bite you, but they do it for the blood meal to convert um, so they can produce all kinds of stuff and have babies. And babies mm-hmm. right? So we were involved in that conversion in research. Cool. And so um, at the time, I didn't realize I was studying steroid hormones, but I was. <laughs> uh, but in grad school, I knew I still wanted to do animal behavior. I didn't quite know what it meant. I had taken a couple like social psych classes. I had taken a couple intro neural or like at least one physio psych class. I kind of had an idea of what I was doing, yeah. but I went and applied to grad programs where I'd never officially taken a neuro class, <laughs> but I only applied to neuro grad programs wow. because I knew for a fact I was going to do animal behavior. Oh, wow! Um, so I got into these grad programs and then actually just got into sex differences, which is basically, again, steroid hormones and all those effects. Um, and so I started sex differences in rats and pain. Then I did sex differences in the zebra French brain. I tell people this story too. I remember interviewing with the person I ended up doing my PhD work with. Oh and God. she was like, oh, yeah, I study birds. And I was like, yeah, I don't do birds. Sorry. <laughs> and she was like, all right. And I was like, you know, I was just honest. I was like, I was kind of freaked out by birds. And the idea of doing research on birds seemed terrible. Um, Years later, that's who I ended up with. Yeah. Um, But that's how I got into it. And that was really sex differences. She was doing some of the same molecular work that I had learned in my undergrad. So I came in kind of knowing how to do that. Um, She was an assistant professor, uh, had a family, and she gave me the independence to be like, here, we have a plan of what we're doing, but I'm going to give you this independence to try some things out. Like, and it worked for me. I really ended up finding out that that's kind of what I wanted to have in my lab and in myself was this independence to find out new things and see what could work and not work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was kind of my graduate work and how I got into those sex differences in estrogens and the estrogen receptor pro- uh, expression and how it works and how they kind of lead to these differences in neurogenesis. And it was just a next step in my postdoc to kind of take that step of saying like, well, naturally, estrogens increase neurogenesis. Well, what happens when we injure the brain? Oh, wait, it does the same stuff. (laughs) And so I've basically been studying estrogens or steroid hormones and steroid pathways from the beginning. And I still super excited about them. Like whenever something finds I'm like, oh, look at that steroid hormone or something like that. It's still what excites me. That's amazing, Kelly. I feel like you were secretly destined for this, right? It's like the plan was right there. I know. You can't have regrets. Like I tell students, like, stick with the path and try it out. But like, you'd be surprised how things work out. And you never would have imagined that it would have worked out. Exactly. A hundred percent. Definitely agree with that. Um, Can you tell us about any um, additional influential mentorships you had along the way? You mentioned um, your professor who you emailed once, you know, and and he was so helpful in guiding you. Who else was there? Yeah. So I have had some, like I said, that professor uh, Greg Ball um, has been really great. Um, I've had a really great uh, PhD advisor who again gave me 
um, the space to kind of find out what worked for me as a person and a researcher and just also had faith in me to keep it going. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say my postdoc advisor, we have a very love hate kind of thing, but (laughs) he was great at showing me what it meant to be like an R1 researcher and what would be productive. He was great at grantsmanship. He was really great at those things that I needed to be good at to be a good professor. And so even though we may have butted heads a lot and like we had years where we didn't talk and then years where we did talk, (laughs) he's been great at just keeping me going. Mm. And like whenever I was like, I'm just not going to do this. He'd be like, no, we are going to do this. Like he kept (laughs) publishing with me. And it's, it's one of those things that, I always tell students don't burn bridges right? Um, because you could have, we could have easily burned that bridge and it would have been a terrible thing for my career and it yeah. would have been not worth the bridge burning. So I would right. say that um, Dr. Colatadalia, I wouldn't be here without him. Um, and also I have a colleague at Vassar who uh, is a full professor. He was basically the chair after I was hired, like the, the semester after. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been great. Um, and he's been great by basically just kind of being the one like, Hey, read the faculty handbook, or, you know, that this is something, let's talk about this. How did that course go? And having someone constantly be there just to be a sounding board is really important because it keeps you from being isolated and being like, Oh God, I, maybe I'm doing something wrong. And he'd be like, "No, no, no, you're doing great. And he's always been a cheerleader. And to this day, I still, I mean, he went on sabbatical to work at NSF and I was like, I miss him. Like, where is he? Like, and I just, I enjoy talking to him, but he's also just a great faculty mentor. If I ever had issues with like a faculty member, I'd be like, Hey, can we talk? And be like, not online. Let's talk, you know, and it's, it's great. And so I've been very, very lucky to have a lot of mentors along the way who have seen something in me. And again, this is part of that. I started this out saying, I needed some to see it in me before I saw it in myself. Right. And so all of these people saw that thing in me that was like, she's going to be good. We just got to get her through it. Yeah. And me, my default is to not. (laughs) And so I think that all these people, and again, I can't, there's been just a lot of faculty members and a lot of colleagues who you know, a friend in grad school has really kept me from being an antisocial loser. So it's like all kinds of weird things. Like my default is to not be social. Right. And so generally, like, again, my grad school friend is the one who's like, Kelly, you're going to the conference. I'm like, I really don't want to. She's like, yeah, we're going to go. Mm-hmm. And it was part of those things because every time I went to a conference, I had to present data, which meant I had to generate data which is it really kept me on a good schedule of always producing data. And so it's all worked out in the end. And it's like all of these people have given me different skills to work with and to kind of be successful with. And so I've taken what they've had to offer and it's, you know, I was never going to be exactly like any of them, but I saw success in what they did and I could use that for my own success. Excellent. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give your younger self? Um, I don't know if I would say be more confident. It's not that I wasn't confident. I actually have a lot of confidence. Um, <laughs> I would say just, I, I think that sometimes I took a middle road 
when I could have taken the high road. And I don't mean that in like, I was being, you know, I meant I probably could have pushed myself a little harder. Mm -hmm. But I was like, you know, it's like, even replying to grad schools, you didn't want to get a rejection. So I went to all the places I knew I'd probably get accepted to, Mm -hmm. right? And I didn't really push myself to the places I probably could have gotten accepted to. Mm -hmm. And so in hindsight, I wish that that younger Kelly had just gone for it. Yeah. Like, there was nothing wrong with applying, shooting your, you know, shooting it out and seeing if it was going to work out. Because the worst it's going to say is no. Yeah. Like, that's something that older Kelly realized. It's like, what's the worst that could happen if someone yeah. says no and you're in the exact same position you were, right? <laughs> um, and so I wish younger self had a little bit more confidence in that way yeah. um, just to go for it. Because I think I probably could have gone to different places. I probably may have been less happy with that. So that's also, I hate living in regret. Yeah. Um, but I do know that that's something that I generally am bad at. Is that I'm like, oh, they don't want me. Like, mm-hmm. I couldn't do that. And like, I remember when I applied to the Vassar job, I was, you know, you're everywhere and you're putting your applications out everywhere. Yeah. And there was a position at a similar institution in uh, another state. And I knew the person who was at that college. And I was like, oh, they don't want me. I'm not going to worry about applying. And I saw this guy at the conference that I hate going to, but my friend made me go to. (laughs) And I was like, oh, yeah, I got this other job. But I saw you guys had a job, too. But I didn't think you'd want me. And he yelled at me. And I took a second to be like, oh, he was like, why in the world would you do that? He's like, you would have been perfect at this in this position. But you stopped yourself from applying. And he was right. And from that point on, I was like, okay. And it was, again, it was my first job. And I didn't quite understand how everything was working. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of things I did that were just, like, dumb. And I was like, <laughs> well, that was just stupid. Like, yeah. you should have just applied. Let yeah. them say no, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't yeah. say no for them. Right. And so I think that that was something that I wish I had known earlier is that that was dumb. Like, you should apply. Let them say no. Like, sometimes they may say yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So when you visualize your successful self, not to say that you're unsuccessful by any Already successful. (laughs) Yes, but what does that look like? Um, I think a successful self for me is respected by my colleagues, respected in the field, and a kick-ass teacher. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then also balancing all of that with, like, my son not hating me Aww. and me being able to do all the, like, good mom stuff. Yeah, yeah. My son doesn't hate me, but it's that balancing act. But, right. like, I think that that would be a successful life for me is that, like, being able to kind of not necessarily have it all, but really be respected in the field, respected at work good at teaching, good at home. Like yeah. that's success to me right now. Yeah. I love that. It's great. <laughs> so Shakira, I will pass it on to you. Yeah. Okay. So we also have a couple of listener questions in this segment. Um, and you've already spoken to both of these a little bit already. Uh, the first one is during your journey, whether when you were striving to become a PI the interview process and all the craziness that goes along with that. Was there ever a time when you felt like you did everything right 
but was still unsuccessful. Oh, yeah. Like, that's the interview process. Like, anyone applying for a PI job should realize that that's the interview process. Okay. You could do everything right and still not get the job. Okay. And I think that I didn't realize that during the process. Mm-hmm. It came years later right. after I was hired that it's like the joke of uh, maybe hiring is that it's all a fluke, oh, right? Interesting. It's a fluke. It's a fluke of like how your application gets read, how you may say like, I read their website and I said I could teach these types of classes. But that year they're looking for people who don't teach those classes, right? Oh. Which you never would have known. Or like your research is slightly too close to one other person's research. Like, oh, wow. There are so many reasons delightful candidates don't get hired and so i think for me that was one of these eye-opening experiences it's somewhat fluky (laughs) like you can do your best to be a really strong candidate and it's somewhat fluky if you're going to get an interview oh my god you interview and they just don't like you personally right (laughs) it could just be like you're too happy oh no ridiculous but I've heard people not get hired for being too, too happy. happy right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that partly you have to be okay with that process. Okay. And realize that it's not like this, like they're only going to get the most amazing candidate. Mm. They're going to get the best candidate at that snapshot in time. Right. Gotcha. And for them. And again, that's what you think. Like, when you're doing an interview, you're interviewing, but also they're interviewing you. Like there's a mix of both. You're trying to see if you would fit in there Mm -hmm. and they're seeing if you fit in with them. Right. And so there's a mix that I think some people don't realize. It's not just your CV. It's not just the letters you write. Right. There is this personality side to it that I think doesn't really get spoken to. And it's hard to figure that out. Like it used to be just, you know, uh, my postdoc advisor told me that it used to be placement in your interview could influence whether you got the job or not. <laughs> like first and third candidates have a higher chance of getting the job than second candidate. Because first candidate sets the bar, third candidate's the last one they see, right? Mm. So some parts of it are just fluky. So like I remember I interviewed, I was like, I'm going third. Like I, I picked <laughs> that date specifically because my, ta- my postdoc advisor told me and I was like, you know, so partly it's a fluke. Um, I would say be strong in who you are. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and again, just know what your worth is and go for it. And if they want you, they'll get you. If they don't get you, then it's their loss. Yeah. And that's how you have to kind of see it. Like, you can't go back to those positions. Like, I see some of the same people that I was interviewing with. I'm like, oh, I could have been better there. But I ended up feeling good at where I was, right? right. It worked out really well for me. And so I can't, maybe this was the best place for me, yeah. you know? Yeah. You never know. And so it, the system works. Yeah. Um, you just have to sometimes realize that it's super fluky. Right. Like, and that it's not, don't take it personally. Right. Sometimes it's just super fluky. Right. But in the in the moment, you don't always think like that, right? It's hard to I not know. take those failures personally. So when that happened to you, so the second question is, what was your North Star that kept you going to achieve your goal, even after suffering through those really big disappointments and getting rejected and that type of thing? Um, Again, I said confidence isn't necessarily my issue. 
I kind of knew I could do it. Right. <laughs> right. I was like, no, didn't do it this year. <laughs> I know I can do this. And so maybe those just weren't the right places for me. And I, you know, I had one real year on the market. Um, but I did a couple test positions the year before just to figure out how to do it. I was trying it out. Mm-hmm. And I always uh, tell some people that I got the best rejection letter ever. Oh. And so I applied for a position once, didn't get an interview, didn't get anything. Right. Mm-hmm. But the, um, the chair of the search actually wrote me a personal email mm-hmm. and he's like, you're not going to get this job, but I wanted to say you're a strong candidate. You're just not the right candidate for this position. And he wrote like this really nice letter. And it was no, I understand now, like I wasn't like I interviewed. It wasn't like he needed to. We now write personal letters Mm -hmm. to candidates, especially if they come on campus. I wasn't that far. He just wrote me a nice letter. And I kept that letter for many years to kind of be like, okay, I'm good at this. That just wasn't the right position. And so sometimes it takes someone just saying that. Like, it's not you personally. Sometimes you're just not right for that position. Yeah. And I remember when I got tenure, I actually sent that guy an email and I was like, your email stuck with me. And it was a very nice thing to do. And he was like, oh, that's so sweet. And like, (laughs) again, I don't know how many times he did it. But for me, it meant something because it was like, all right, this year didn't work out. Didn't get any job. Didn't get any interviews. It's fine. Yeah. I'll be ready for next year. And so I would say that those little failures aren't always failures. Sometimes it's enough to be like, you know what? This wasn't the year. Let me try again. And it will work out as long as you do what you need to do to be in position. Yeah. Yeah. And just keep trying. So how many years did you try before you got the master job? If you don't mind my asking. No, no, no. I was actually only on the market for two years. Okay. 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 So I think, is that like uh, average would people say to expect? Um, Or is that like really fast? (laughs) I don't know where that falls. No, it depends on the year in the field. Mm. Like some years, there'll be a thousand neuro jobs. Mm -hmm. So I'm just using neuro, for example. Um, And then other years, there'll be like two. Mm. And so the year I applied was a low year for neuro jobs, the second year I applied. And so there were a lot of us who were applying for the same job. And um, I, you know, I thought for sure I didn't get the master job. um, And then I got an interview Mm -hmm. and I was like, oh, wow. Okay, great. (laughs) Um, And then like a colleague of mine, the year she applied, there were like a ton of positions. And so she was just flying everywhere. And I was like, oh, no, that was not my year. <laughs> like, there was a couple and like, that was it. Um, so it's hard to say. Yeah. It depends on your year in the field. And sometimes even with a year's difference, you could get almost triple the positions opening. Yeah. Um, so I always tell people to, you know, if you know you're starting to make that move, do a practice year. Yeah. I mean, even if it's just positions, you know, you don't want to move yet. Just throw out a couple of applications. Yeah. Because one, it helps you to get your packet together. Two, it helps you to learn what the process really is about. Mm-hmm. And as you're doing that, you will often see where you're falling behind and where you're excelling. So like at a place like Vassar, I needed to show that I had done teaching and that I was still publishing and doing stuff in research. So for me, my packet was I've taught these classes. So I was adjuncting on the side. I was doing my postdoc and I negotiated with my postdoc advisor that I was going to teach a night class. Mm-hmm. And so like two, I think it was one night a week, one night a week, mm-hmm. I taught a night class. 
And so I had tried out this course that I still teach now. And so I used that course in my packet, even though it wasn't part of my post-op. But I was still doing my post-op, right? And I was still publishing and I was still out in the field and I was still doing those types of things. But that first year was about figuring out like where my research would sit in the field and what I would need to do to be successful the next year. Right. And so the next year I put out, I mean, I had a, this old school days, I had a binder mm-hmm. and I would have like had all the job ads and I'd be like, okay, yeah. apply to this one. And I had it down and I was like, you know, getting all my reference people like organized. I was like, there's like 15 colleges. I'm so sorry. And, you know, and you have to understand that you're just going to be really annoying to those people that year. Yeah. Yeah. I gave them all very nice gifts. I was like, here's some popcorn. Um, but yeah, so I would say that that was kind of, it's really hard. Right. I, and again, I've been on a lot more hiring things now. And I see like great candidates, like we get a hundred and something candidates for a single position. Wow. Clearly, some of them are going to be amazing and they're just not going to get the job. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And it, you just have to realize that, that you could be one of a hundred people who apply for a single position. And if yours came in a day late, or if one of your letters didn't come in on time, right? These are those kind of fluky things that you can't control, but it means that you don't get reviewed, right? Right. And so I would say partly realizing that there's just a flukiness to the whole thing. Yeah. And then preparing for that and seeing where things go. Yeah. Do your best and see how it goes. Okay, great. Thank you so much for sharing that, Kelly. I, I really loved listening to your story and like all the little like coincidences that got you to where you are yeah. today. It's really kind of amazing. So yeah. we're going to wrap up with the final segment, which is one of my favorite life lives. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you have this amazing career. You've had this amazing journey in your life. What brings you joy in your life outside of research and discovery? So outside of what you do. So hobbies, passion projects, family, friends, how you like to relax, whatever brings joy to your life. Yeah. So uh, two things. Um, I love music. And so I'm still like, I still go to concerts. um, If I exercise, I'm always have my own music on. So that's something that brings me kind of joy. And you'll still see me walking on campus with headphones in. <laughs> I, I pump myself up before I get nice. to <laughs> um, Yeah. And then I will say friends. Like yeah. something that's come much kind of older with like life is friends and, you know, hanging out with friends and family, a good cocktail mm. and a hang out with my good friend. That's pretty much a happy day for me. Yeah. So those are the things that bring me, you know, lights and make me happy. And so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Beautiful. Thank you so, yes. so much for sharing your story with us. Well, thank you. It was wonderful yeah. listening to it. It was fun having this conversation with you guys. Yeah, it was a fun conversation. Okay, so we'd like to say thank you to our listeners for supporting the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, like, and share. And you can reach out to us by email at lovesciencepodcast at gmail.com. Please send any questions for past guests, comments about the show, or suggestions for guests that you'd like to hear on the show. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time. Bye, 
everybody. Bye. <laughs> Like, yeah, I don't do birds. <laughs> <laughs> and she was like, all right. <laughs>